Welcome to Deceit and Descent, where we discuss the transformative and manipulative moments in Britain and Spain's colonization of India and Mexico and how the aftermath can be seen today. I'm your host, Rachel Fisher, and I'm joined today by my good friends, Mary Ann Williams and Carlo Cardenas. Thanks, Rachel. I'm really excited. We'd also like to extend a thank you to Jack, Carol, our sound editor. I appreciate it. You guys are a great team. All right, let's get started. Today, we will specifically talk about people, battles, and acts that led to the manipulation of natives peoples in India and Mexico during their respective colonial eras. Colonization in Mexico refers to when the Spanish came to the region and utilized tactical force and domination to conquer the Aztec Empire beginning in the 16th century. However, in the 19th century, the United States government introduced itself to the area to expand its territory further, but we'll get into that later. Circling back to India, India has a long and complex history dominated by various cultures, religions, and traditions, and we'll discuss how Britain has had a long-lasting impression and how Britain used these varying cultural aspects to their own advantage. So how did a bunch of Brits end up in India? Well, Britain established its presence in India in 1600 by implementing the East India Company Charter. The British came to India primarily for economic reasons because India was a source of valuable commodities such as textiles, spices, and tea that were high in demand in Europe. The EIC's initial focus was establishing trading posts along the Indian coast, and from these posts they could buy Indian goods, package them, and ship them to Europe for a profit. Is this the start of the British's taste for tea? Yes. In the 1660s, tea was on its way to becoming the most popular beverage in England. So while Brits and Britain were sipping their tea, the EIC began crafting alliances with local rulers, exchanging British goods in return for territory. Eventually, the expansion of territorial control fostered Britain's ability to take on political and military roles in its newfound territory, allowing more power and influence in India. We can't forget that Britain held the upper hand in militaristic knowledge and also had technological advances on its side. How long did this power influence last and when can we see it develop into full-on control? Great question, Carlo. By the mid-18th century, the company had become the dominant force in Indian trade and politics. The company had established control over many parts of India as well as over resources and labor which generated wealth for itself in the British Empire. Officially, company rule began in 1757 and I'm excited to share insight on Britain's use of manipulation to achieve its goal of colonization. With more than 150 years of British presence in India, we'll divulge two particular instances that really define Britain's use of manipulation, which are the Battle of Plassey and the Indian Mutiny, which solidified Britain's direct rule until partition in 1947. All right, let's start with the Battle of Plassey. The Battle of Plassey is a pivotal moment in Indian and British history because it signified the start to company rule, affecting both countries intrinsically. Exactly. So the battle spurred as a result of a dispute over the tax collection in Bengal. The Nawab was alarmed at the company's growing power and wanted to assert his own legitimacy to limit the company. The British launched an attack on the Nawab's armies on June 23, 1757, and were successful, attaining full control over Bengal. It's also important to note here that the British held an alliance with the local enemy of the Nawab, which they utilized to their own advantage to win, but shortly after, the company disregarded the locals and and did not award them any benefits for their efforts. So now that the company held jurisdiction over Bengal, what was their next move? It was in this moment that Bengal was treated as the starting point of the East India Company's entire political and territorial control of most of the Indian subcontinent. Specifically, the 1784 Act gave the British government, through the company, the power to regulate trade in India. And it's important to mention that this arrangement prevailed until the British Raj came into rule in 1858. So the company used this governing power to create a board of control 
which simply put made sure that the company's activities were in line with the British interests. So then this process of slowly de-industrializing India began to make way as a strategy to manipulate the exports in favor of British interests. Yes, these restrictions on textiles and other goods led to a rise in unemployment because the Indian workers were not allowed to sell their goods in the foreign trade market. So you see this rise in company rule that can't be stopped. The British never chose to evolve a comprehensive culture of the Indians. They firmly believed in the British superiority and that it was their own burden to come into the country in order to institute a divide and rule strategy. The British were far more concerned with their own trade and security inland on the subcontinent that it was only whenever these civil wars and the weakening of the Indian rulers began that the British played into these power politics. The British essentially capitalized on this decentralization of the Mughal Empire by filling the power vacuum. The British articulately manipulated the Indian belief in their own military capability with the introduction of the sepoy armies. With the rise in power of the Nawabs, the British methodically came to legitimize their own rule. So when France came around and easily defeated the Nawab in Karnataka in 1746, the confidence in Indian powers weakened heavily. The British openly interfered with Indian politics as a way to capitalize on these beliefs through the creation of the sepoy armies. They created an army based on fear and delegitimizing Indian capability. And by 1857, with the Indian mutiny revolt, the Mughal Empire was already on a steep decline. This was the last chance to assert Indian legitimacy before direct rule came. Although there were many reasons for the, for the mutiny, I find it interesting that this moment clearly shows the manipulation of the British. They went from creating this sepoy army through the delegitimization of Indian power to then making the sepoys bite off the cartridges that were greased with animal fat. The British saw Indian values as lesser than those in Christianity. Basically, the British came into India for economic and strategic reasons, and their presence in the region had a profound impact on Indian society and culture, leading to the widespread exploitation and oppression. Stay tuned because next we're changing locations and divulging the Spanish and American deceit in the West. On the other side of the world, even before the British touched on Indian soil, the Spanish were making landfall on present-day Mexico. Colonization in Mexico started in 1519. Spanish conquistador Hernan Cortes arrived in present-day Mexico with a band of soldiers. When Cortes arrived, he created alliances with some of the native peoples, such as the Tlaxicons, and he leveraged these unions to attain information about the Aztec Empire in order to formulate a better plan to attack faster. This can be seen when Cortes and his men were on their way to Tenochtitlan to assert their presence and dominance by capturing their capital. The route they took led them through the Cholulas, rivals of the Aztecs. When the Spanish arrived at the gates of Tenochtitlan, they devised a plan to encircle the city to basically ransack its resources and assert their dominance over the empire's leader, Montezuma. Aligned with our theme of manipulation, the Spanish capitalized off of the Aztecs' initial welcoming attitudes. They basically went along with Montezuma's belief that the Spanish were sent from the gods. But soon these friendly relationships began to dwindle, right? Confrontations began to unravel, and an evident mistrust was palpable on both sides. The height of their conflict reached a boiling point when the Spanish successfully captured Montezuma and ransacked Tenochtitlan. I want to backtrack a little here. How were the Spanish able to ransack Tenochtitlan and kidnap Montezuma? I can answer this one. As we know, the Spanish brought epidemic diseases with, their, with them from Europe, like smallpox. Right on. However, while smallpox did play a large role in weakening the Aztec Empire, the Spanish's strength relied on their ability to force coercion of the native peoples. Exactly. So now that the Spanish literally have Montezuma, he was manipulated to convert to Christianity and pledged his allegiance to the Spanish Empire. The Spanish believed that the Aztecs would always regard Montezuma as their true leader, 
which would facilitate an easier transfer of power. However, this was not the case. The exact circumstances surrounding the era of Montezuma's allegiance to the Spanish is uncertain, but myths point to the idea that Montezuma was either stoned by the Aztecs for submission to their attackers or was rather killed by the Spanish in an effort to assert their dominance and power. With Montezuma out of the way, Tenochtitlan lacked a governing figure and the Spanish quickly moved in. Okay, I'm intrigued. Now that the Spanish have taken over Tenochtitlan, how did they incorporate their own beliefs systems? What was going on? A major incorporation to the Aztec way of life was the encomienda system. In 1513, the crown decreed the requerimiento in order to subjugate the conquered indigenous peoples to Christianity and to accept the authority of the Spanish. Cortes and the other conquistadors used this law as a way to manipulate the native people into accepting their false pretenses that would exchange protection and Christianity for forced labor. So now that the Spanish have the full assertion of dominance in the region, this lasted many years and eventually the Spanish crown got wind of what the colonizers were doing and attempted to reform the system through the new laws of 1542 to protect the rights of indigenous people. Spanish colonizers essentially disregarded the crown and in turn acted accordingly to their own desires, which included brutal slavery to suppress the natives and to acquire greater wealth. We can see here that the colonizers were acting in a two-pronged approach to manipulation. They were manipulating the crown by assuring the empire that change was occurring and there was no further need to intervene, and additionally manipulated the natives by withholding information of the new laws and purposely ignoring the rights that they should have intrinsically had. So the Spanish are moving on, continuing their land, gra land grabs, enslaving the natives, and implementing Christianity. Correct. The Spanish spent over a century in Mexico establishing their presence in the region and made strides to move north in into present-day New Mexico. Things took a turn in 1680. This is shown through the Pueblo Revolt. Another revolt? I'm sensing a theme here. Right. All right. Let's dissect this one. So the term Pueblo Revolt is used to describe the uprising of the Pueblo natives and retaliation of the Spanish missionaries' severe mistreatment of them as humans as well as religious peoples. How did religion play a role in the retaliation? Well, the Christian missionaries were not exactly the most accepting of the other religions. In fact, they outright punished the Pueblos for following their religion and did some pretty horrible things to get this point across. Rachel, you're familiar with the specifics, correct? So the Spanish felt that it was their duty in order to convert these barbaric and savage people and enlighten them to Christianity. The Spanish tactically burnt the Pueblo ceremonial chambers called kivas to instill fear in the Pueblos to manipulate them into succumbing to Christianity. Fear and intimidation were prevalent to essentially erase Pueblos' cultural and traditions, and in an effort to manipulate Pueblos to adopting those of the Spanish. How did the revolt pan out? So the Pueblos plotted their plan to attack the missionaries to avenge the years of forced coercion and labor and were successful in their stride. The Spanish missionaries were ousted from the region, allowing Pueblo culture to rehabilitate. Alright, so we've tackled India and Mexico, and it's clear that these two share a very different history, yet they're parallel in many ways that they were colonized by Britain and Spain. These similarities stem from manipulation, which have inherently continued to saturate their physical and cultural makeup. With the onset of World War I, the British promised various economic incentives and opportunities for greater political representation for Indians in exchange for supporting the war effort. Tens of thousands of Indians served under the British Army during the war. Right, so now it's 1945 and India has helped Britain win not just one, but two world wars, and they're looking to be compensated like they were promised, but we know that's not necessarily what happened. The British clearly did not have any intention to create a solid economic and political foundation for the Indians to run independently. After all, they had been under British rule for almost a hundred years now. 
Exactly. So the partition of India in 1947 is viewed by the natives as an excuse for Britain to make a clean escape from the owed costs of the world wars. The control that the British had over the political process during partition exemplifies this tactic of manipulation. Correct. The newfound border between India and Pakistan essentially denoted India as a Hindu country and Pakistan as Muslim, and religious complex that date back centuries continue to propel into the modern age. Similarly, in the Western Hemisphere, the 19th century saw Spanish rule dwindle and conclude in 1821. Mexico was essentially depleted in resources and morality after the years of Spanish colonization and rule. Mexico was recovering, which provided the U.S. with ample reasoning to infringe upon its territory through the American ideal of manifest destiny. The U.S. understood that Mexico was in no position to fight back in a full-blown war, and capitalized off of this idea to begin encroaching on Mexican soil to assert their presence and dominance. Sounds a bit like history is repeating itself, I must say. So with American encroachment, the U.S. eventually acquired disputed land territory through the U.S.-Mexico War in 1846 and the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo in 1848 altering and shrinking the Mexican, Mexican territory to what we see today. Obviously, we see the borderlands continuing to have problems in today's world. I mean, we see this topic on the news every week. But it's also interesting to see how the legacy of the Spanish rule still resides with the indigenous people in the American Southwest. The cultural residue from Spain is impossible to overlook in present-day Mexico. Spanish is the national language, and Christianity accounts for over 70% of the population's religion. It's truly clear that manipulative moments in early colonization propelled throughout history in different forms. All right, that's all we have for you today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast just as much as we enjoyed making it. We'd like to extend a thank you for listening to this podcast. Our research lies within the script and sources can be found within the bibliography. We would also like to thank Sweet Beats 808S for the use of song Mexico, Amoski for the use of song Stomp, and finally, Shiden Beats Music for the use of the song Indian Music with Sitar, Tampura, and Sarangi. All of these songs can be found on Pixabay.